Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. Uh, once again, another entity in the hockey world has decided to copy us by taking a few weekends off in the in this uh, summer season. Um, thus, why we won't miss any game action uh, before this episode drops, really. Um, a couple weeks ago, we left off and I asked um, Montreal Canadiens legend George Peros is the current uh, person in charge of the, you know, disciplinary office of the players. Or basically, he's, um, how would you describe it? Uh, Colin Campbell's uh, whipping boy. Who should replace him? Because he's... He, He's going to be out in the next 18 months. Ooh, he's ooh, going to move me. on to something good. Me, me, me. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, Cass. <laughs> um, because we're talking whipping boys and, and doing what they're told all nicely and being goonish and stuff, I'm going to go with Garth Snow. Oh. Uh, I, wow. He, he, uh, he's edumacated, mm-hmm. which apparently is a thing that somebody likes and he's got you know he was a goon for i was a goalie goon this is true you know and i mean literally that we all called him that while he was playing he was a goalie goon and um he's used to being in a subservient role with the new york islanders of which he is no longer employed by so uh i think he's perfect I went with someone who's been nibbling around the edges of executive training across multiple NHL teams, and that is one Christopher Pronger. Elbows Pronger. Christopher Elbows Pronger. You want to talk about someone who had notorious history with, with the Department of Random... Um, assessments, as I like to call it, <laughs> do as, because um, it's do as I tell you. Um, mm-hmm. But someone, you know, like I said, he's been kind of nibbling around the edges of executive level type stuff for a while, and he's like getting paid by like one entity now, right? What he, I'm sure he's feeling the bite of that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. He probably he probably does need a second job. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least get paid by a second group of people. <laughs> yeah, and and he could help book vacations to the league office or the I city know. that the league office is in right. to make well, it more worthwhile for you know larger suspensions. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're he an could, expense, of course. He, not could, the he could. Yeah, exactly. Not the league's <laughs> expense. Well. You know, isn't it, you know, grifters going to grift type thing, you know, the all of a sudden for in-person hearings, you know, that you fly on 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 Pronger Airway, you know, Pronger's charters. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's a deal to the team exec that he has to go with. And then the player comes along and says, oh, OK, this is kind of nice. Maybe I'll book with them in the future. You know, you, you cut a deal to a buddy who knows a bunch of people. There we go. That's not hockey at all, is it? That's not no. the most hockey thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> no. 
that's the most hockey thing that's ever hockeyed and hockeyed him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to say Colin Campbell, because what, what else does he do all day? But see, that's why he wouldn't do it, because he wants to be doing whatever else he's doing. I know. Him. So, in the process, <laughs> give him a bunch of responsibilities, and then that idea of retirement is looking a lot nicer. Oh, so for, so trying to force him into retirement by making him work? Yeah. Uh, that's it, not the I NHL way, though. I know. Yeah. Well, it's it's either going to be that or whomever takes over for Gary. Um, because more and more is ancillary things happen around the league that we're not qualified to talk about at this point in time. Um, just, just to say that we're reading anything, we're up to date, but it, it's tough to comment based on the anything other than here, we're, here are the facts, and if you're listening to this podcast, you already know what they are. Mm-hmm. But based on the way stories like this continue to come out, and given, you know, CTE litigation is still out there. I don't think Gary will be hand choosing anyone to be his replacement. I, I less and less, I don't see Bill Daly, you know, being the incumbent person. I think someone from the outside will be brought in by, I'm not gonna say a power grab of some of the newer owners, potentially grabbing seats on the board of governors, uh, executive committee over time. But I think there's going to be a major changing of the guards based on the amount of ownership turnover that we have seen. And given what revenues have done in the league, they, they, they climbed incrementally. The world shut down. They were, you know, took way too many hits to the head. And now they're facing those repercussions. And I think there's going to be an appetite to, to clear house and bring in revenue like an entertainment business. And everyone so, will be kicking and screaming the entire way. Let let me let me counter your point, sir. Um, this is a business venture filled with conservative white man owners. True. They like the sure thing. The sure thing is a steady increase not a not not big jumps but steady increases over time three to five percent return you know year over year you know nothing big but it never goes down right Mm -hmm. this is the first year it's gone down and really suffice it to say we will not know how much they've lost you know most of them are let's put it this way most of the ones that are complaining are complaining because they're businesses that aren't their hockey teams are taking the bigger hits right now. Mm-hmm. So I I have always been of the opinion you put your money somewhere and you walk away from it. Let it grow. It'll grow. Just put it somewhere where it's going to grow at a steady pace. I don't think they want to swing for the fences and look to make big jumps because big jumps usually are followed by crashes. Mm-hmm. Right? So... That's why this league has been run the way it is for so many years. It's let's dip our toes in the water. Okay, this is pretty comfortable. We'll go into our knees. Okay. And, you know, like the NBA and the NFL are like, cannonball, you know. (laughs) 
and Major League Baseball is like sitting there in the lounge just going, yeah, you guys, go ahead, have fun. We'll just be over here. Which you brought up a point of how there is a subset of owners who are hemorrhaging, who basically needed revenue from their businesses and from their hockey clubs just to kind of stay afloat. Because after all, these people are only billionaires, you know, based on an Excel spreadsheet. They're not liquid. But enough about Eugene Milnick. Yeah. I wasn't going to say names, but yeah, Eugene, um, you know, cutting the rug out from, a, you know, the in-house charity venture that they created after cutting ties with an outside party. Anyway, how desperate does that make someone? Because in certain businesses, they actually might be more likely to swing for the fences and make some returns in hockey than say, I don't know, the hospitality business like, uh, you know, Dallas's owner. And see, that's where I think the teams themselves might do something versus <clears throat> making it sort of a league-wide initiative, trying to make it a league-wide initiative or league-wide mandate. Because I think, I don't know how you two think, but I don't think Gary was even even beyond the COVID thing happening. I don't think Gary was going anywhere for three or four years. Um, I still think that's the case today. And in three or four years, you know, these guys will probably have recouped some of it outside of Eugene Melnick. Um, <laughs> you know, and they'll probably be less panicked because I think it's an immediate thing right now. And in a year, it'll be a year in the past and two years, you know, it's, the immediacy sometimes triggers it's the panic trade right oh my god these guys did this we have to do this it's the copycat and that immediacy tends to push people to do stupid things in an attempt to course correct as we all know hockey owners ones that are bad are the ones that tend to do those things first and i think i think it will be by owner right now And if they start hemorrhaging even more because their ventures fail um, in three or four years, then we might be somewhere. But I think in two or three years, things are going to stabilize and start increasing again, and they'll be okay with it. It's just the immediacy of everything right now, you know, is what's freaking them out. But will they be okay with waiting two or three years or are they going to just be like no we need it right now no matter what uh, at their team level they may do that right it's it's like i said it's like the panic trade oh my god you know our, our our biggest competition in the division went out and traded for this guy we have to go do something you know no we really don't we're still a better team than them no 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 we have to make a big trade too right i think the team level you know, the Aquilinis, um, I forget the owner's name in Dallas. Um, those guys themselves might do something with their franchise, you know, to try and up their revenue stream somehow. You know, not, you know, not, not, nothing as blunt as like upping ticket prices 100% or something like that. But you'll start seeing, 
you know, little surcharges, almost almost like uh, loot boxes, right? They'll start doing those types of things to start generating more revenue from the team. But I think at a league-wide level, I don't think that's going to happen because by the time Gary says, I'm ready to go, things will have stabilized. Mm-hmm. And, and, there, and that panic to replace him with somebody more willing to swing for the fences in that, in that space is probably going to be lessened. Now, that being said, like you were kind of hinting at, Pat, if there's more owner turnover and some more of these, and I'll use the term maverick, type owners come in, there could be a shift. You know, Somebody like Dundon who kind of models himself a little bit after Mark Cuban without so much of the you know, in your facisms, um, starts gaining stature because the Carolina Hurricanes start gaining stature and those sorts of things start happening and you get another owner who's like, hey, that guy's having fun. Let me go buy this franchise out from this guy and I'll start doing the same thing. So if you start getting a few more of them in and then, of course, you know, Wormtongue himself, Jeremy Jacobs, um, gets behind those guys then yeah i could see a shift yeah but i I think by and large they'll want someone they'll want a clone someone who's going to give me three to five percent a year that's it anything more is too risky for this venture i don't want to you know it's like a stop loss i don't want to lose too much on this hockey team because it's fun it's fun yeah i get i can see a a path forward where in order to make ends meet, certain owners sell minority shares. And the venture capital world was not hurting the last 18 months at all. The rich just got richer. Enough of them come in and sign good enough deals where, you know, an entire VC firm, not a single individual like Tom Dundon, comes in buys a team like we've seen in the NBA that's approved. They have the ability to outright buy a franchise when, you know, the numbers are hit or, you know, the selling figures are one to 1.5 billion. Team owner walks away, makes a good chunk of change after having, you know, poor cash flow. I could see the tides turning that way too. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if more collectives getting to it, you know, I was kind of curious at what sort of I don't want to say fallout, but um, what sort of market reaction there would be to the Oakview Group stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. how many NHL teams are owned, you know, kind of like that. You know, I know they all, uh, not all of them, I know quite a few of them are not personal entities own a team, but the person who does own an entity owns the team type thing. Um, so they're they're the actual head, not sort of the monarchal type thing. Um, but if we and, start seeing more of those groups, it'll be interesting. And given the way franchise evaluations still continue to rise, especially with Seattle kicking off this fall, you know, the $1 billion number will be the kind of the target. And 
I doubt single individuals can really afford to hit those targets. And, you know, for less desperate franchises who they just have an owner who hits a certain age and needs to cash out. So there is a game plan to head in that direction. And I could see it being one of Gary's last acts to try and course correct away from that. But it remains to be seen. Yeah, I think I I think you're right in, in that aspect of the days of the single owner are numbered because the franchise valuations are are amazingly enough outpacing the wealth income of those people. <laughs> <laughs> and it may take corporations like kind of Oakview and the, you know, basically entities that can build a facility first and then, you know, acquire yeah. the team second. Yeah, and that's, you know, that was sort of where I was leading with that is, is, you know, they, God bless them, they just came in and said, okay, you know, we're not going to sit here and screw around with trying to figure out all this public money and all this other crap. We'll go ahead and do the key. We'll own it. We'll manage it. You know, we'll pay for the remodel, largely. You know, I'm not going to say the, the number of referendums around here with the other groups that wanted to buy or redo the key arena was just, you know, we want 75% public money. Yeah, you're high. We're not doing that. Again. <laughs> you know, we've been through we've been through this twice and kind of got screwed both times. So no, we're not doing that again. And honestly, the way things are looking, everyone's going to walk away a winner. Yeah, and that's always it, that's always perplexed me. You know, I, this is it's it's sort of analogous the airport painfield airport that started opening passenger flights two years ago has been voted one of the best mm, small airports in the country just because <laughs> it come and it's it is it's an absolutely fantastic little airport it is just amazing it is so easy to get to it's easy to get out of the terminal you breeze through now, granted, it doesn't have the volume of, of a Seattle-Tacoma or, or um, obviously an O'Hare or Denver, but... Thank God. <laughs> yeah. But as far as, like, the quality of the facility and even the services within the facility, it's amazing. Why? Because it's run by a private company. They paid for... Um, they paid for the facility construction. They, they operated it in partnership with Snohomish County. You know, Snohomish County gets gets a chunk of the revenue and this company, you know, puts their name out there and they're the ones running the facility. You know, the 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 airline people come in, you know, that are employed by the airline to do the ticketing, you know, the baggage claim, all that kind of crap. But the rest of it is all from this one company. And that's, you know, I hate to sound like an old white capitalist, but. In some models, it helps push the system forward. And I'm kind of wondering if that might not happen here with hockey, with the overview group and stuff, having redone the key, saying, we'll eat it, but guess what? We're also going to manage this facility. Mm-hmm. You know? And by doing that, they can get away from government lowest bid type contracts and having to worry about, you know, 
is this facility going to get slashed in the next round of tax cuts or something, you know, from, from the county or the city? They can get away from a lot of that and maintain that high-end facility feel. And I think people aren't going to be so opposed to pay a little more to go to those things at that facility. Because they know what they're going to get. You know, it's not going to be some airmark, you know, concession type stand where you've got greasy faced kids, you know, making corn dogs that you can buy anywhere else. Because, you know, as good as good as they are, that's not what I'm paying for. So I I look at Ottawa and go, you know, there's if if a VC to use your example, Pat, if a VC, if a Canadian VC wanted to look at that and go, yeah, you know what, this is a prime opportunity to develop a retail residential entertainment uh, real estate property downtown, build an arena, buy this team and move it there and start raking in bank. God, you know, it'd be a prime opportunity. Yeah. Or if other entities could kind of copy, you know, Live Nation Entertainment, Oakview Group's model, and just start acquiring these buildings that are up for, you know, needing a remodel. Like Calgary is the perfect, you know, case study, I think. They're going back and forth, battling with, you know, local government over trying to get a new facility. What if the government just sold the facility to a group? And then they rebuilt it and managed it. They wouldn't sell it, though. I mean, they would lease it. That way they still get, like, money year after year well, out of it. They, they might sell the building, but not the land in which it sits. Right, right. Yeah, It'd be I think that would be, yeah. God, it reminds me of the McDonald's stuff, right? Exactly. How did, how did, you know, Ray Kroc steal McDonald's? Well, he turned it around. He's... You know, I'm not. I'm going to buy the land and build your building. You buy the franchise for me. Mm-hmm. It was a real estate company at the end of the yeah. day, but it took a a good small business model that could easily be replicated. Yeah, and to 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 kind of see your boy Cassie, it's just sort of like this. I I didn't really step back and take a look at this whole climate pledge arena. Oakview Group situation and think, God, you know what? They've sort of shifted the paradigm a little bit. And how many people are looking at it going, that's actually a really smart thing. And and to sort of say, I don't think they'd sell the Saddle Dome. I don't think they'd lease it because we're already in that situation now, right? Mm-hmm. I think they'd I think they'd sell a partnership with it. Mm-hmm. You know? And and obviously, you know, we're not going to sell you land, but, you know, we'll we'll provide, you know, 10 percent funds for parking, you know, maintaining the parking lot, you know, stuff that the counties or cities can do normally paving, you know, striping that kind of crap stuff that, you know, maintains and upkeeps exterior sort of that big infrastructure stuff and let the company sort of deal inside the walls. So that it's going to be really interesting. And I, if Calgary is smart, if somebody in Calgary was smart, they take a look at that model and go, okay, 
you know, this makes sense. Does the, does the city get that much money? No, but it's going to be consistent money, I think, for a longer period of time than what they're dealing with now, which is you've got a facility that, you know, it costs more to maintain almost than you take in mm-hmm. because of its age. And, and, and you shove that the onus of maintaining the facility on a group that has a much more vested interest in maintaining the facility because that's how they make their money. Not you, with ratty, not with ratty seats that are falling over in cheap ass concessions. Right. Yeah. You pass off the expenses that you have for more surefire bets and tax revenue and the modest, you know, rent or agreement fee that you're, you're giving away. You end up spending less and you probably take in just a bit more. In the long run, I think you do. Yeah. You know, you don't charge them rent. You just say, hey, you know, as part of this, we get 2%, you know, revenue off the off of each event at the facility or annual, you know. Yeah. In addition to, you know, we'll give you we'll maybe give you a little bit of a tax break here. But in return, we want, you know, a little bit of of, of whipped cream off the top of of your Sunday. Okay, wow, that got into a really sort of business journal discussion quick. I know. <laughs> and well, the worst part. Of, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the worst part is, unfortunately, these are all buildings with probably upholstered seats. So you can't do that nifty um, blowtorch trick on sunbleach seats that we saw going around last week. Because that was oh, so pleasing. <laughs> no, you can do it. It just won't have the same effect. <laughs> So speaking of Seattle setting expectations and changing things and stuff. All right. Head coach was named. What do you guys think? I didn't see anything about that. Was a head coach named? Uh Uh-huh. 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 No, no. People were delusional. But let's talk about it anyway. Dave Hackstall. I want it. I hope it's written in his contract. He has to keep the goatee. <laughs> Somehow pandering to the, you know, the, the local grunge thing. <laughs> yeah. Not that anyone still has that. But oh, I. Oh, no, no, no. Goatees are coming back. Are they? They are. They are. Yes, with they with are. mullets. Yeah. Uh, no. I'm, I'm laughing bad. Because <laughs> I. We're straight out of Aberdeen right now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ, because I went through downtown Kirkland yesterday to go look at our house, and the number of, of twenty young 20-ish, you know, and into teenager kids that had mullets and goatees was hysterical. <laughs> They're all walking along the beach, and I'm going, this Christ, it looks like a 1994 hockey tournament just dropped into town. Oh, but I, I think Mirror Universe, you know, Hackstall, he needs to keep the goatee. Yeah, it it just looks good. And then he can come out and, you know, flannel and Doc Martens. He, he has to do a pilgrimage to Aberdeen first, though. That's that's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, he so you know, you know, he's got to so, go. He's got to go to Aberdeen and, and then um, head on over to Squim. Is there a local tailor 
that can make the flannel suit. Oh, God, yeah. All right. <laughs> make? You mean they're not selling them again? <laughs> well, I mean, there has to be a little bit of custom tailoring. Basically, he needs the pocket for his extra pen and the you know coach's card that they pull out every five minutes. And his, and his wallet chain, his chain wallet, I mean, his Doc Martens. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And now I want a Turk. Maybe attached to that chain is some sort of signal, whistle, some sort of device that signals a coach's challenge. Mm. That way you popularize it and then it goes league wide. No, no. See, he has to have a button somewhere in, in uh, in the bench where he like clicks on it and even flow starts playing and that will start the uh, coach's challenge i was i was gonna go with um oh god um a kim thale soundgarden ref mm. okay hey we, we could go screaming trees no no screaming oh, trees Cage. No, let's do Rusty Cage. You know, no, Slater Kenny. Slater Kenny just like oh, Slater, a new, yeah. new album. Yeah, actually, Slater Kenny would be good too. But I just think that I, I always get that opening riff from Rusty Cage. I think, you know, just like, and we have a coach's challenge. <laughs> 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 oh, um, I guess we should stop and actually talk about what we think of it. Well, no. This is true. It's our, yeah. it's our damn podcast. F it, we'll do it live. Um, I was just sitting here thinking. I kind of now. I kind of want a, a, a Seattle Kraken colored pair of Doc Martens. You know, the two blues and then red. Okay. Okay. Get one the light blue. Get the other one the dark blue, and both have red laces up them. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not that we ever tie them, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of... Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can do that. Mm-hmm. I haven't worn Doc since I was in a band. You sure you don't want, like, some Timberlands in, in doing that? No. God no, that's, that's, that's an Ontario thing. No. That's, well, that's also too hoity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking work boots. And, you know, it's like, I... I I, Timberlands aren't work boots anymore. No, not anymore. They were just back like, in the day. Just like Carhartt isn't work clothes anymore. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, there are. It's they still make fantastic workwear, but come on, you know, ninety percent. Oh of no, no, it's it's purely a, it's a fashion brand now. As I just left my brother-in-law's house earlier, and sure enough, there were some Carhartts up there. And... Yep. Is he uh, a blue-collar worker? Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, but he was uh, trying to install his own garage or motorized gate opener. So, you know, he's, oh. putting, in the effort. he's putting in the effort. <laughs> if that isn't the upper middle class white guy definition of blue collar work, I'm trying to install a right? gate opener. <laughs> oh, it gets better. It gets better. Solar powered. Solar powered. <laughs> So he's so he's a he's a woke <laughs> he's a woke upper middle class white guy. I'm trying to install my solar powered gate opener <laughs> to keep the riffraff out. Uh, 
<laughs> so I would just like to say, and I think I've said this before, is that the high school I went to, the athletic league um, that we played sports in, Aberdeen was a part of. So I was in Aberdeen all the time, and I can tell you, no, none of that. Mm-mm. <laughs> That's logging country. Oh, um, I went to high school in a logging town. Yep. Oh. Um, I will. I don't hate the Hackstall thing. I don't mm-hmm. love it. I think it's about as vanilla as vanilla gets, but I think it's kind of Tillamook vanilla. It's not grocery store vanilla. Tillamook vanilla isn't bad. It's not not crazy. It's it's not awful. It's not not high end. It's not your boutique ice cream, but it's also not your, you know, five gallon bucket for 99 cent grocery store ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And it's not your it's not your wannabe mass produced Hagen dogs. Right. Mm -hmm. I think I think there's it's a good base for something. Yeah. What that something is, I don't know. Right? Cause there's no discounting what he did at North Dakota. You can't. Now, Philadelphia was up and down, and I forget who said it. Um, it was on some other podcast. They can steal from us, I'll steal from them. I think he got painted with a fan base. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, like, you Toronto, know, you know, outside of Babcock, Toronto paints players and coaches constantly. And so that you know, sticks with them. You know, the, the, I, I watched the press conference where he was introduced, and everybody wanted to refer to Philadelphia without actually talking about Philadelphia, his, yes. the, his career there. Everybody kind of had that. So we'll just gloss over the Philadelphia part. And then he finally got tired of it. And he's like, no, let's talk about Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, going I, to like give you what, what happened in Philadelphia. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, there wasn't a much to say. He would some years good, some years bad. Yeah. But he didn't have much of a. He had a couple of talented players on a mediocre to subpar roster. Well, but see, the thing for me, though, is the fact that, like, he wasn't shying away from it. He was okay with talking about it. It was everybody else, all the media and stuff that wanted to gloss over it, like, well, that's just, we'll just shut that under the rug. And he's like, no, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm going to talk about it. And I I was rather impressed by that. Yeah, and I think the trepidation from the media was the way the media in Philly and the fans in Philly, Philly painted it, right? Yeah. He got painted by a fan base because the work he did in Toronto, and I, I think this is a this is also telling too, is that was his first NHL head, head coaching job, right? Mm-hmm. The number of people that have done that the first time and been successful is very slim, especially mm-hmm. making the jump from college to there, right? Yeah, straight from head coach in college to head coach in the NHL without any transition without a stop at the AHL, which is generally, you know, or even as an assistant coach in the NHL. And that's what I was getting to is he did the smartest thing he could, which is step back and go play an assistant, um, in Toronto for a couple years, 
get out of the spotlight, so to speak. But, you know, watch how somebody else works, learn from his mistakes in Philly and his positive, you know, and the positive things he did in Philly, you know, learn what works. And I think that's kind of why I'm saying, you know, I think he's going to be a, and that's why the, the goatee is fantastic too. I think he's a different head coach than he was in <laughs> Philly. But I think he's got the right, I can't say, I can't believe I'm sitting here defending this because I really was sort of mad at the whole thing. But it's a safe hire at the end of the day. Yes. It's, you know, it's not someone who's going to be so magnetic that the fan base is, is it's not going to be like George Carl with the Sonics, right? He became as big a personality in the city as the players were and not, not, not derogatory manner, you know, just because people fell in love with him. People are going to like Haxtell. I don't think anybody's going to fall in love with him because he's not that gregarious, big personality type coach like Boudreaux. Everyone loves Boudreaux, right? If you if you had to fire Boudreaux after two years, you know, like they didn't like they did with Gallant in Vegas. If we tried to do that here with Boudreaux, oh, you know, you'd turn off a big portion of your fan base. With Haxtell, it's kind of like, yeah, he was a good guy. He's just guy. Let me let me bring up a name for a comparison. And maybe the situations kind of parallel themselves. Couldn't you see him developing into a Barry Trotz like coach, especially with an expansion club here? Where he could. So he he built a bulk of his coaching experience at the NCAA level. But he was with a program that produced and recruited lots of talented individuals. But he's still defensive minded, ultimately. He had his apprenticeships with Philly, with Toronto. I could see him spending a long time in this position because I think they will find maybe not in year one or year two, but in a few years. And I think this is a flaw for Vegas. Ultimately, (laughs) they will need to find a player or two to be the personality of the team. You know, you really can't say that Vegas's personality is Mark Andre Fleury. You know, in those early Predators teams, okay, you had a leg wand, you had a goalie, yeah, but it was never it. Trotz. He 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 never became the ego that Babcock yeah. has become. That Quinville is to some extent, depending upon the day of the week, I guess. Um, I think he's fine, just kind of sitting there doing the gig and honestly he he was ultimately almost a he was a hockey 500 coach but he's almost a 500 coach with a team with aging stars and he got more out of Claude Giroux just by convincing him to shift to the wing but being yeah. prepared not doing the you have to play wing take the tact of we need you to shift and this is why it can be good for you and for the team I, I think the I, sorry, Pat. I think your trots in comparison is dead on. If he's here after five years, he's probably here for ten. Yeah. Type thing. <laughs> and at seven or eight years, you know, if this team continues to, if this team is successful, you know, 
and and starts ramping up and becomes even more successful with him, then yeah, at that point, you know, he becomes just by his stoic nature and sort of you know trotsisms, he becomes ingrained in the city type thing. The Nashville, institution. Yeah, exactly. Because Nashville was devastated when they lost Trots, right? And he had such a persona of non-personality, but his his work, his body of work wrapped him, took him to Washington, and people in Washington are still infuriated they let him go. And people in New York are like, we'll take him. We love him, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I could totally see that happening. You know, that's obviously there's two paths that can happen. He can go that way or he can get fired after three years. I, you know, coaches well, get I mean, hired to get fired. But. I think, too, I mean, you're, you're talking about a fan base that even though there's a there's a good chunk of people that are fans of hockey in the Seattle area, you know, there's still a lot of people who are going to discover hockey in the next three years, right? People who might have heard about the Thunderbirds and because um, the Thunderbirds have been around forever uh, and the Silver Tips, but never really thought about going because they weren't a pro team and, you know, who cares kind of thing. But they might actually, you know, be willing to go and check out an NHL team now that they're local or even just getting into the building and seeing what they re- did, what they did to key arena, what formerly key arena, which is basically everything but the roof. Um, you know, so they're, they're going to get a lot of people who like come in and they're just not going to have any idea of anyone's background or what's going on. And, and, and so, you know, to them, he's a blank slate. To the like, they might have gotten thirty thousand people for season tickets, but that was all over the country. That wasn't just in the Seattle area, and so you know, there's there's going to be a lot of like hockey fans or new hockey fans in the Seattle area, Washington State, Oregon, Montana, Idaho, Alaska, um, some in British Columbia who choose to defect because of the Canucks, uh, but. You know, it's it's just going to be new coach, new team. Nobody knows anything. Let's see how this goes. And they're just going to grow up with it. Even if there happen to be 50-year-olds, they're going to grow up with it, you know. So as having a bland coach sounds kind of tedious to most of us who have been around hockey for a while because we're starved for people with personality. Um, Pacific Northwest, that. I think most people are going to be okay with that because most people have bland personalities there anyway. His personality hey. is bland. <laughs> and hey. I can say that because I grew up there. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, so this segues in beautifully to the best hire that they've made. How much do you think JT Brown's going to be kind of become the face and, oh, and be that personality because that is an unbelievably awesome hire. They I was so stoked when I saw totally that. Totally will. And nobody's going to know anything about him. And because, you know, he's been playing in Sweden and, and, uh, 
other random places around the NHL, and no one's going to know anything about him, and they're just going to be like, oh, he's a new guy. Okay, well, I'm new too. And and he's just going to endear himself to, like, everybody, especially once people hear that his dad was an NFLer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. He played in the NFL. I was only aware he played in college. Mm. Yeah, seriously. And- <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, because regardless of being a hockey fan or not, football is king in the Pacific Northwest. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. They're going to love him. He's going to be Mr. Personality. He's a gamer. He's like, you know, he knows his hockey. His dad was an NFL player. And, I mean, they're just going to be like, we like this guy. <laughs> he is, he's charming. He's smart. He's... Um the interviews I've heard, um, he's been fantastic in interviews. He doesn't sound like a player transitioning to a media role, you know, where the first year or so they're they're kind of stumbly and stiff a little bit until, you know, until they get it through their head that be yourself and you'll be you'll be fine. Um, uh, there's also there's also the fact that <clears throat> excuse me. That, um, you know, he's going to kind of bumble a little bit and that people are going to find that endearing, you know, and well, the fact, yeah. and also the fact, actually, that was the, the, I just, I forgot what I was going to say and I put something else in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that he like ended his, and ended his professional hockey career to come to Seattle Retired the day he announced his hiring as a player. Right, as a I mean, commentator. Yeah, that that right there, everyone's going to be like, "Oh, he wants to be here. He ended his pro career to be here." Okay, we like this guy. Yeah, and I think, and not to get too deep into it, but I think his political activism is going to play very well here with bringing in new fans. And I'm not just mm-hmm. talking about the existing white hockey fans, you know, um, those, those fans of color. Well, I'm really trying to tap dance uh, my way around this, the African American community around who starved for Sonics. That was their team, you know, because we all love the Sonics, but a lot of the Sonics players really ingratiated themselves into the communities. Um, you know, Chinatown and and some of the other um, POC communities around here, and that's been missing. You know, the Seahawks kind of do it. Um, the the women's the WNBA reign are big into it. Um, but I think that's that, you know, it's that kind of avenue to bring in more diversity in the fan base by bringing think, in somebody like JT. And, and I think he's going to play well with um, playoff well for like community outreach with Everett Fitzhugh. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. And that's and I said it in a, in a tweet. I want the San Jose Sharks had one of the best weekly magazine shows for a long time with shark bite um i posted a link to to an old segment they used to do called quick quiz where drew romanda who is just one of the most engaging people you will ever freaking meet would just go up to players and ask them random questions you know he had a series of like five or ten questions and he just asked them random questions like 
you know, Chris Rock or, um, God, I forget who it was. Um, you know, he'd just say, you know, what's your favorite comedian? You know, of these two comedians, which one's your favorite? And he'd try and get everyone to answer something. And, you know, what's your, what's your, um, what's your guilty pleasure? You know, just off the wall, random stuff. And I think Everett and JT, cause I don't think John's going to want to do it, but I think hey, Everett um, and JT could totally, John may, I don't know. I don't want to put it into it, but that kind of show. Oh my God. You know, and, and you brought it up, Pat, and I stole it and ran with it because that's, you know, every, every artist is a thief and a magpie <laughs> gaming segment with JT. Yes. What easier way to disarm, you know, the more veteran players that they acquire than doing something they, some of them might like away from the rink. And then just using that as a touch point where it's, it's just an extension of things that JT Brown does on his Twitch stream, which was kind of a, a litmus test. I think the the organization used to say, "Here's a smart guy. He's engaging. He's out there. He checks all these boxes for just a resident of the Pacific Northwest." Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, he's tech savvy. Oh, he's and he played in hockey. He, had, you know, he won a national championship in college. He didn't have the banner NHL career, but he did have a, a pretty good career. He played on very talented teams, and he's still young. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, I kind of glossed over that. That's yeah. a, I think that's going to play very well. So I I kind of reacted to the idea of. They won't need to have John Forsland be the guy out in the community. They don't need him to do that, and they should. I think he would be willing to, but I don't think it's I, necessary. Having Everett Fitzhugh, you know, basically open the press conference for Hexall's hiring, having him be that, you know, front of mic person instead of a PR person. That's where his role, he, he can be the host. JT can do different things, and it's just a good dynamic. Just interchange them differently instead of having one individual do all those things. Because Forslund did all those things in the early years here in Carolina, and it, he, he did a great job. Consummate pro, He whatever he's doing, he's going to give it to you. don't need him to do that because you have these other fantastic, engaging individuals use them well and i think i mean the trick the the twitch stream the um jt brown had i think was really his audition right where oh it's his resume without realizing he submitted it to anyone right i mean you know somebody within the kraken organization was paying attention to that was watching that following that however that all worked out and decided that this was the guy we want just based off his Twitch stream and yeah. interviews, you know, I mean, and camera, you know, game interviews. But those are when you're talking to NHLers in front of a camera, they're not always the most engaging people. He was, you know, I think a lot of the a lot of the players that JT Brown came up with in the Tampa organization tend to be that way. They tend to not be so um, wooden and, uh, you know, hockey, robot-like, hockey-like. Um, 
But but yeah, I mean, really, that's what it was. Is that JT Brown just was doing something that he enjoyed, and someone else saw it and thought, you know what, he would be a great addition to our organization. Oh God, I'm just so freaking happy they hired him. I'm, you know, I know me too. <laughs> I mean, I was I like, I'm so happy, and then I was like, oh, I'm on the wrong coast. God damn I it! I'm <laughs> going to have to sleep. Damn it. I'm going to have to sleep train for those eventual 10, 10.30 Eastern starts. Oh, man. I but I'm going to do I it. I to learn how to nap. I'm going to do I've it. I've never been a good napper. I just need to learn how to nap. Um, God damn it. I, I, I think, and I was circle back a little bit, I think John would do it if asked. But I think this is going to be a situation where they'll ask Everett first and John will volunteer to do stuff. John will say, hey, you know, I really kind of, I think I want to go out and do this. If he wants or, to, I, I think it's, they'll give him the option. Yeah, and that's, and that's it. Hey, you know. And, and I think he will want to. He will want to find his way to kind of not only pitch in in the outreach, but just find his voice in a new market. Yeah. Um, you may not know his name, but I... I think of him as kind of a Kevin collateral. He's coming up here, right? We're getting one of the great voices of the game. Call him play by play. And and Kevin collateral up here, especially during those mid 90s Sonic runs, was as much uh, a, a part of those, you know, just, just by success, you know, some people become uh, uh, famous ancillary, right? Because his calls were so engaging. Um, he was so freaking good at calling basketball that, you know, like I, I think of John's, you know, that's hockey baby type thing sort of harkens back to a Dave Niehaus who used to call baseball here yeah. in his trademark. I was just going to say Dave Niehaus. <laughs> my oh my, you know, they, we had my oh my banners in the kingdom for Mary. Yeah, I, I remember those too from watching yeah, those so, you know, mid nineties games. So that's, you know, I think he's just going to ingratiate himself here by, by just doing the work that he's done already. And then anything he does beyond that is just going to make him beloved and, and start ramping him up into that Dave Niehouse, Kevin Clavro type echelon. See, here's the thing, is that the people that they've hired so far for broadcasting, if, if for whatever reason, people who come to Seattle to do sports broadcasting never leave. <laughs> they oh, sure never they leave. Well, rarely do they do. I mean, Linda, you know. It's Linda like, Cohn did. That's true. No, you got to get that. But, <laughs> no, like, I, I, I'm thinking, I, like, I, Dave Niehaus and. I know. see what you're saying, Cassie. The people that come to work and for the games never and, leave and and not being the broadcaster for the local station yeah not not right. being the not being the news desk sports reporter at 11 yeah or or not being not like i mean very rarely do they actually because you know dave niehaus did some national games but he had no yeah. interest in doing national games on a permanent basis yeah you know yeah and that sort of thing so it's like at this point the guys that are there will probably end up retiring in the jobs they currently have. <laughs> and I, uh, you know what? I am. And I'm totally okay with that. that. I'm here I for am that. 100% <laughs> fine with that. You know, yep. they I'm have totally- been, I mean, we kind of expected Forsland 
right to be the guy because when it be, when it came out that he was contract deal stuff fell apart in, in Carolina and I'm very you know as sad as I am for Carolina I was immediately like I want that man here and that one was kind of expected Everett Fitzhugh was out of nowhere yeah and however far out of nowhere Everett was JT Brown was like in a galaxy over from nowhere yeah, and JT Brown might be 30, but he is not leaving Seattle until he, and, you know, he'll retire there. He'll like, he'll like be calling hockey games until he's in his 60s, I swear. <laughs> you know, I am 100% fine with that. I just, oh, I do. So many people were speculating, you know, who are they going to hire? Is it going to be this guy? Is it going to be this guy? Is it going to be this guy? And Seattle went, <laughs> none of the above, and just went and plucked someone way the hell out of nowhere. Straight out who, of the pros. <laughs> who exactly, literally, okay, um, you're playing in Sweden. Hey, do you want to play anymore? No? Okay. How about we give you a job and you retire on the same day? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just sort of go, you, you start connecting the dots, and I think, you know, that Twitch stream sold it. I, I 100% agree with you guys because mm-hmm. Seattle. Tech City, you know, young, very well spoken, um, introspective, very active in the communities, um, include in his family, you know, the same way, very active in their communities. Um, yeah, that just you sit there and tick all of these big, huge boxes as you start walking down that list. And it's just like, however, vanilla Hackstall was. This is just, you know, you take that vanilla base and you put like a good raspberry sorbet with it. Oh, yeah. If Microsoft's Xbox division hasn't already reached out to him and have some sort of deal to work with him, they're doing something wrong. Yeah. Sponsor sort of thing. I'll uh, I'll email him Monday. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well i mean I'm kidding. in fairness last week you know they were a little busy with some announcement about something before you know the kraken but windows 11 oh wait no <laughs> oh, can we not get into that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that will be my <clears throat> post recording rant no um, I'm trying to count in my head. I think that'll be my 12th operating system I've worked on. <laughs> no, no, 14th. <laughs> we will uh, not be taking complaints at this time, okay? <laughs> no, that's yeah, just the 14th. That, oh, there's that's there's one I choose to forget. <laughs> there's one I there's one I consistently forget. <laughs> I choose to forget. Um, no, actually, there's two I willfully choose to forget. One I always count, one I forget. <laughs> and that's Windows Me. Um, anyway. So I think the best thing, too, and no one should lose sight of this, how many first-time broadcasters Forslin has worked with and not only probably helped them along the way, but then let them be their own person and develop their own voice. He did it with Trip Tracy in Carolina, a person who had never worked broadcast before. 
How many early games did Forslund and Brian Boucher work together? Yeah. The the one I think he he helped and turned into a star-ish, no pun intended, was Daryl Ray. Daryl Ray. Yep. That was the last name on my list. Yeah. It's... He can work with anyone and bring the best out of them. That's just how good he is in his own right. Yeah, sorry, Pat. I don't think Forslund's so hung up on old school uh, play-by-play broadcasting that, you know, like there's like like some of the guys, you know, as, as, as iconic as Pat Foley is, He's also opened up a little bit more in the last four or five years because it, the sort of the traditional white hockey broadcast voice, right? I don't think John's so sensitive that he can't step out of that, you know, and get engaged in a different way because obviously he worked with Daryl Ray and that's like hurting cats. <laughs> and then, you know, he and like you said, he and Tripp really started to get a lot of fun rapport going the last six or seven years. They seem to be opening up a little bit more. And I'm not sure if that's because Trip got more comfortable or what. But it, regardless, I think this is, you know, uh, and it's just going to be prime real estate for these two guys to develop their own language mm-hmm. of hockey, right? I was I saw a brief interview of, of JT Brown and he was saying that once he and the family moved to Seattle that him and Forsland are gonna be sitting down and working working things out, you know, practicing and and he's gonna Forsland's going to tutor Brown a little bit on how to do things and before the season even starts. Before preseason even starts. I can't wait for that. Because you know there is there is a cadence that some play-by-play guys like to work with. You know, mm-hmm. they'll kind of let you know when they drop out that it you're okay to fill in here. Versus sometimes silence is golden. There are guys I know that do drop because there's something going on and they just want you to hear it, and they don't want you know the the play-by-play guy or the guy between the benches with his bald head feeling he needs to jump in and remind you that so-and-so went to Shattuck St. Mary. (laughs) And what's going to be great, if we want to bring this full circle to Hextall, the hire and what we're going to see available in the expansion draft in 20-plus days, it's going to be another defensive-minded team. So there is going to be periods of just dead air that they can work and experiment with so JT can find his voice on television in hockey and then when the big moments came and come in tight games in the third period that's when you you know Forslund is great into switching into that here are the more traditional roles. I'll cover the things between the whistles when there's, you know, some back and forth action. You fill these other spots. And then it just makes them both rise up and look yeah. and sound fantastic. Yeah, and I and I hope that they get that personal rapport going, that they can do the things like 
Randy Hahn and Drew Amenda used to do. Um, which was have fun calling a game that is not fun for for one team. Like there were some blowout games where that were just hysterical because Randy would be calling a game and Drew would make a Seinfeld reference. And the two of them, you know, would would drop in Seinfeld jokes for the rest of the game because it was like eight one sharks or something at that point. Mm -hmm. So that level of personality coming through. And something that you never hear on the broadcast, but I would see from my little perch, I could always turn over my right shoulder when John and Tripp were working games at PNC Arena. In between whistles or even during commercials, he's moving, he's he's goofy, he's he's engaged in something, but he looks like he's having fun. So to your yeah. point, Patrick, he he's going to they're just gonna have to find how can they do it together without stepping on each other's toes. That is their biggest obstacle to success. And I think they can, you know, jump over that pretty early on. Yeah. <clears throat> Should we talk about the uh 1993 Montreal Canadiens versus the Tampa Bay Maple Wings. It hurts. Make it go away. <laughs> um, <laughs> the only upside to Montreal winning is they should be playing on opening night. Probably as the home team in the uh, lost Stanley Cup final against the, the new Seattle club. God, you know what would really just make that night perfect for me is if the Kraken came out in the striped style Metropolitan's uniforms, except with the Kraken colors. <laughs> you know that's got to be a that's got to be a third jersey. You know it's got to be. Um, I have been I have been I won't say assured, but I have been told by a few people that yes. They're trying to figure out how best to do it because yeah. the because the original Metropolitans were Christmas tree colors, mm -hmm. red, green, and sort of an off white. They want to Minnesota wild colors, except without just uh, there's something but good, green. but good, yeah, but good. I was going to say yeah, but good because there's something about that green they use I do not like. Um, Yeah, God, it, you know, as people may have seen, if they follow me on Twitter, every time I start a franchise in an NHL, EA Sports NHL game, I go with the the candy stripe sweaters and always do, you know, a blue and a green and a gray type thing because I call it electric moss, uh, summer sky blue and fall gray because <laughs> that's what you get in Seattle. But yes, I have been I have you need been, a bit of rust in there. Uh, that was just the skate blades. Oh, okay. Never mind. That comes off easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I've been informed, I think is the best way to put it, that they are actively looking at designs that will follow that Metropolitan's sweater. Yay! Yeah. I, I'm so stoked by that. Because it is just, you know, it's like the old Ottawa, I think the 1918 Ottawa candy stripe ones that they wear every once in a while mm -hmm. there's just something about them i think they, i think they look awesome yeah. <laughs> they do. Yeah. 
Okay, so we've talked about the Toronto or the uh, Montreal Canadiens versus the Tampa Maple Leafs. So, so uh, what are the odds that that um, in the realignment, if Montreal wins, they're going to keep the Northern Division? Zero. Zero. Thank God. Because <laughs> in any other year, this would be this Montreal Tampa meeting would probably be a first round matchup, <laughs> or second, depending on how Montreal squeezed in. Yeah. Right, so, if it was one of the wild card spots, and they did the crossover thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. This this is a Stanley Cup final. We'll probably never see any uh, any. We'll never have a chance to happen again in our lifetime. We need an asterisk. <laughs> I say it should have an asterisk, but maybe not. And, and to that point, yes, I sucked my tweet. Okay, I didn't qualify it the way that I should have. But Montreal is the only team since 1967 to win all three trophies. And there's only one other team that has an opportunity to do that. And that's Detroit because they moved from west to east. But I don't think Detroit's going to win the Wales Trophy anytime soon. The Western Conference (laughs) champion, Montreal Canadiens. Right? Oh. Which which actually isn't as weird as it sounds because Toronto was in the Western Conference for many years. <laughs> as was as was Detroit. Yes. Right? But and like I you know like I said, since they moved to an East-West Conference, Toronto and Detroit both have had uh, opportunities to win the Campbell. Detroit did it a few times. Toronto never did. So <laughs> Toronto's done. They don't have a chance to win the. This was their only chance to win the Campbell Trophy since the 67 expansion. But let's not go into a Kerry Frazier discussion here. I think that that's one podcast bit that I don't want to steal from our competitors. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> I might Frazier. be mistaken, but, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay, I think we can pull the shoot. Oh, I guess I have the question, huh? (laughs) Yes, you do. One of the rare times that we talked about the question before the show, instead of just saying, I got nothing. You got something? I got nothing. Okay. Um, Okay. So, um, many of the NHL awards, have all of them been awarded yet? Or are we still waiting on a couple? We're 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 waiting waiting. on a couple that will happen during the final. Hart and Vesna, I think. And Ted Lindsay. Right. Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so most of the awards have been quote unquote handed out virtually, um, even though we didn't discuss them and probably never will until, well, we won't until next episode, I guess. Um, <laughs> so if you could replace an NHL award, which one would you take away and what would you replace it with? This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3 Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.